You're in the water loop. Hey everyone, this is Travis with Waterloop. I want to tell you about the Flume Smart Water Monitor that I use at my house. Flume is the perfect device for tracking your water usage in real time with your smartphone. You can see exactly how much water you're using with showers, toilets, sinks, appliances, outside irrigation, any way you use water. Flume lets you set daily, weekly, and monthly water budgets. It also alerts you if there's excessive water use and if it detects a leak. In fact, Right when I hooked up Flume at my house, it alerted me of a leak. I was losing a gallon of water every six minutes outside of my water line. Turns out it had been there for months, and I was wasting ridiculous amounts of water and money. I'm not sure when I would have found that without Flume. Flume is super easy to install. You wrap a band around your water meter, just like you put a watch on your wrist. Connect to Wi-Fi, download the app, and you're all set. No plumber needed. Now you can use promo code WATERLOOP to save 15% off of Flume at flumetech.com. With Flume, you'll never be surprised by a water bill again. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis, joined by Tiffany Ashley Bell. She is the founder and executive director of The Human Utility. Ashley, really glad to have you on for this episode. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, I, I stumbled upon uh, your organization, your nonprofit, and was really fascinated by the story um, of, of you all helping to pay water bills for people really in Detroit and in Baltimore. Um, we'll dig into that. But go back. How did this all start? What led you to, to launch the human utility? What's that story of, of the water shutoffs in Detroit? Yeah, I mean, so at the time I read about it, this was the summer of 2014, and I was a consultant with a year-long consultancy agreement in the city of Atlanta. And so part of, I was on the uh, mayor's innovation delivery team. And so I got to see as a result of that uh, consulting engagement, basically how the entire city worked as a result of the work that we did. So we got to shadow the mayor, all the different cabinet positions and whatever. But in the middle of that fellowship, I saw... Um, an article in The Atlantic that talked about how 100,000 people in Detroit were about to have to live without running water because they couldn't afford their water bills. And, you know, seeing everything that I saw in Atlanta as far as how they made decisions, um, I thought it was interesting that Detroit decided to turn off the water of people that are demonstrably poor. Like, I've been to certain people's houses. They don't have anything, um, you know, in a lot of instances. And I felt like it was crazy to, with everything that I've seen in Atlanta, you know, how they were making decisions. I thought it was crazy that Detroit decided to do that to people. So um, just more of the story. Like, I'm a heavy Twitter user. And I always have been sort of like since I finished college in 2008. And I had a pretty decent Twitter following. So I was tweeting about what I was reading that same day. And my co-founder and I, we came to this decision, like, what if we were able to, um, so part of what was also happening is that the city of Detroit, for some reason, had thrown um, people's information into a PDF file, and they put it on the website because they were like, we couldn't deliver these bills to people via, you know, the U.S. Postal Service. So for some reason, they just put them all in a, in a PDF file. So it was 400 pages worth of people's information. And the only thing that was missing was names. So you could take an account number at the time. And, you know, that was also in there. You could take an account number, 
plug that into the utility company's website and it would tell you everything about that particular customer. But one of the things that was there was a make a payment button. So our insight was what if we, you know, figured out, you know, we got people's stories that we knew the details for because we didn't know the folks in the PDF. But if we got people's actual information and who needed the help and gave their account number to people who could, you know, help pay, that was how we started. So, yeah. And you have a background more like in IT and tech and computers and coding and all this, right? And that kind of factored into to your approach and solution here in, in some way? Yeah, definitely. So I was a programmer before this. And so I'm mean, still a programmer with this. But I we built the, the website to find people to both donate and to help with the same night that I read about what was going on. So Yeah. And, and so, we basically also like built our own crowdfunding platform through this. And so that's how this works. Okay. And uh, yeah, tell me a little bit more about what it's like and what you've seen for a person, for a family, for a home, you know, when they lose water coming out of the tap and out of their showers. What is that, what is that like on a, on a human level? Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of the things that most people take for granted because I myself, before reading about it, didn't realize that people get their water shut off for not paying the bills but because they can't afford to pay the bills. But it, it permeates your entire life when you have your water shut off. So one of the things that can happen is that you can lose your home. And so Baltimore originally was a city that if you didn't pay your water bill – they would add it after I think like a year to your property taxes. And if you couldn't pay the property taxes, they would sell your house from under you. Um, and so way before we started, a woman, um, she lost her house over like a $365 water bill because she couldn't pay that. And it was like a, a freak sort of bill or whatever. Hold on. Yeah. Sorry. Wow. That is, that is insane to lose yeah. a house over that. And, yeah. I, and I think I saw stories on your website also, like a horrible example of, of where a um, someone has their water shut off, and I guess somehow they know that this person has children, right? Yes. And then, and then Child Protective Services comes and takes away kids. Like, that's just yes. crazy. Yeah, that's one of the that's one of the worst stories for me. And there, but that's not the only time that that's happened, though. There are plenty of stories where people, you know, when I first started this work back in 2014, I remember a mom, a single mom of three, um, in Detroit. She told me that she split her kids up with different relatives so that you know, the, she stayed in the house that didn't have water, but she split her kids up because she knew that she could lose custody of them. So by sending one to their dad another one to their aunt, another one to their grandma, she got to keep custody of them basically. But those are the kinds of decisions that people are having to make, you know, in order to avoid that impact of losing custody of their kids. And if you think about it, um, just in that instance, even though she still had custody of her kids, think about the impact on the kids. Like they're, you know, they might have to change schools, their social network as far as their friends are disrupted. They're living, you know, without their siblings at that point or whatever. And that's super disruptive. But even in the instance that's on our website with the woman, um, Patricia, that lost her granddaughter, she, um, you know, the, her granddaughter was like five or six when it happened. And so she's fully aware that all of a sudden she's not living with her grandmother. And so she was, you know, having to call her grandmother every night and talk to her and she would cry on the phone and stuff like that. But, you know, if you think about just the psychic cost to kids that that's, you know, that's happening with that. 
it, it it's unnecessary because her grandmother needed just $700 to get the water turned back on. And we gave that to her, but she had lost her granddaughter by then. So part of the battle had to be that she went to court to try to get her back on the basis of, I have utility services again. But again, I keep thinking about the impact to the, the kids when that happens, because you're basically punishing kids for their guardians, you know, poverty, which is not their fault. But, you know, the foster care system is such that, you know, and, and just taking kids away in general, that is a separation anxiety that they're going to experience possibly for the rest of their lives. And it didn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that really motivates us to really try to try. If you think about like how we, you know, assign who gets help and who doesn't and when we try to triage, definitely families go to the front of the line because of that impact that we think is totally unnecessary. But then also like, a thing that I think about a little less, but still important. If you think about the cost of putting a child in foster care for any decent period of time, it it's unnecessary. It's you see, you've got taxpayers that are paying thousands of dollars when all a family needed was like five or six hundred dollars. That it's easy to come up with from for a lot of people, but for some reason not for them. And you're wasting money in that way. That again, it didn't have to happen like that. So wow. Um- I guess back to the, the bigger picture. How does how does the human utility work? And now I can see where you get that name from, right? That was just about this is about people. This is about being, you know, humane and, and treating each other right, right? And putting those basic rights first. Maybe you want to talk about the name a little more, but um, and then how does how does it work? What's 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 the operation? Yeah, so we used to be called the Detroit Water Project, but we expanded to other places. Um, and one of our volunteers actually gave us that name. His name is David. Um, he helped name us because again, it has a sort of a double sort of meaning like human utility, actually treating people properly, but also like everyday people maximizing their ability to, to help folks. Um, but you know, people basically come to the website and they apply for help and they can do it on their own or they go through certain community partners that we have. And, you know, depending on what's going on with them and how much they owe, we will give them, um, up to around a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars, depending on what's going on. But the average amount of assistance we provide is around three hundred fifty dollars, um, and that usually is either to get someone turned back on or prevent them from being shut off in the first place. Um, so one of the things that's true right now is that a lot of states have put on um, water shutoff moratoriums, and so what we're seeing though is that a lot of people, and I don't have faith either, but a lot of people have faith that you know these moratoriums are totally temporary. And, you know, utilities are going to go back to collecting once this coronavirus crisis is over. So they're trying to get their bills paid now to avoid being, you know, shut off once this is all over with. But again, we work with the utility. So when you apply, we verify different things in your application. So there's, you know, we ask about your income if you have any. We ask for state issued ID and your lease or your mortgage to make sure that you're actually responsible for the water bill. Because sometimes the person actually isn't. And that's a situation where they can get their landlord to be responsible for that. Um, but again, we try to help people and get you a decision really quick and go from there. And could you talk more about how you prioritize, you know, who you who you help and who kind of moves up on that list a little bit more? You mentioned families, but what's what's that kind of criteria? Yeah, so it's families with kids, of course, and then senior citizens and then other folks who might have other sort of um, health conditions, like if you're on dialysis and things like that. 
Um, and then after that, it's just the chords to like, you know, first come, first serve. And if you've, you know, given us all the information that we asked for as far as documentation goes. Okay. And so since you started this in 2014, you said, what kind of, what are your numbers? What's your, you know, how much assistance have you provided? How many people have you helped? So we've helped over 1,200 families so far with about a half a million dollars in water bill assistance. Wow. Just from crowdfunded donations and everyday people seeing what we're doing and just saying, you know, that's crazy. I want to give to this. Yeah. So, so it's, it's really individual donors. Have you had any like organizations or companies kind of make this part of their practice to support you? So we get a lot of people who give through workplace giving. So like because of my tech background, like Google, um, Microsoft, Slack, a bunch of other companies, people will give through their workplace giving programs because a lot of those companies will match the donations. Um, and we have a couple of um, corporate donors, like a company called GitHub, which is another tool for developers that was acquired by Microsoft. But they help fund our operations rather than paying water bills. And so, but we are mostly individually funded. I think there's a lot of power in that because if you don't have one big donor, they can't just say we're going to yank support and you have to worry about like how you're going to keep going at that point. So I really try to put a lot of emphasis on getting individual donations. Yeah. Um, you, you know, we talked about a couple of the, the tougher stories, tougher scenarios, situations that you've seen, you know, with kids and all that. But what are some of the, I guess, success stories or some of like the moments that stand out to you where you guys made a difference? Well, I think about just like, you know, um, a family, for example, in Detroit where the breadwinner was the mom originally, and but she came down with breast cancer and the water was shut off. And so we were able to help her get that water turned back on. And then um, there's another story that's on our website with an older woman. Um, her name is Helen. She was in a nursing home, but she got out of the nursing home and, but her house had been, she had a leak at the, at the time she was in the nursing home and she got out and didn't have water. So we got our water turned back on and she didn't have to like live in the house with no water basically. So it's, it's stories like that where it's a very simple correction to make for people that again, it's often unnecessary to do the shut off. But if someone just comes in with, I don't know, $500 or so, they can get their water turned back on. And in some cases, depending on what they owe, we can get the entire bill paid off and kind of reset the person and make it so that their payments are manageable for them again. So some people ask, you know, what about, you know, if they need ongoing support? In a lot of cases, you know, that's not a thing because they just need like momentary support so they can take the bill over themselves. Yeah, I wondered, I saw in there that you really, you really kind of provide this one-time support, right? And is the idea that you're trying just to give them a boost and get them back to, you know, level so they can try to take care of it themselves is that's the idea then become help them get back to self-sufficiency on that front yeah for the most part for the most part i mean we do have some cases where we provide an ongoing support but it's in cases where i don't think anybody will argue with it like this person who's going through chemo or something where they can't work so they need that ongoing support but the goal is to have it where every 18 months is kind of what the the limit is that you can apply for assistance okay and then and baltimore too so how did you uh, how did you end up in detroit and baltimore so one of our donors actually was saying that we should find another city to expand to just to kind of see like what's going on with people. Um, and Baltimore at the time had sort of the same situation where people were getting shut off, you know, and it was for reasons that didn't make sense. Like, you know, this person is, you know, demonstrably in trouble as far as like they lost their job. You know, they have some medical issues that have, you know, taken up all of their money. 
And, you know, it's not what people are typically thinking as far as, oh, you know, they're just deciding not to pay. It's the same situation as Detroit. They're in situations where they just can't afford to. And Baltimore had some of the same issues. Um, so we chose to expand there. But the other thing about this, too, is that we, you know, we have Baltimore and Detroit, but we also pay bills in at least 30 other places in Michigan because the entire state has this issue. Um, And again, it's the same situation, economically depressed folks, where instead of trying to actually like make water affordable so they don't have to get shut off, the the thought is just to... um, shut people off as a collection mechanism. And it's, it's more about um, keeping the utility afloat rather than like remembering the water utilities public health function. Mm. So it happens in a lot of places. And we actually get applications from, I think the last time I checked, we've had applications from 37 of the 50 states for people to come in and say, can you help me in this community? So it's, a, it's a totally a widespread issue. Yeah. So what do you uh, what do you think about that fact? You're getting that demand from from 37 states or increase from 37 states. I mean, are you are you are you looking down the road at all? Like, okay, how can we platform this out and continue to grow it? Yeah, yeah, because I think that you know it's so one of our earliest donors wanted us to just expand to cities and just raise money and that's it. But my thought process has always been to like get to lo- to know local people. Um, develop partnerships and really understand like some of the policy issues around like why this is happening in certain places. And you can't do that by expanding to a new city every three hours. So, like, you know, I've, I've tried to like understand what's happening in local places and really, again, try to work with local groups and really get a sense of what's happening, especially as far as like, you know, knowing some of the local politicians and what their role is and just understanding why this is happening in places in the first place. Because a lot of nonprofits, they come in and they just basically profit from the problem. That's not a thing that I want to do. So that's why we've not expanded in a wild sort of way. Yeah. What's the, I know that the water sector, these, these drinking water utilities are thinking a lot more about affordability issues and wrestling with it and trying to deal with it. Um, What do you, what do you hear from, you know, the, the, the drinking water provider in Detroit and the drinking water provider in Baltimore as they see you guys doing this work in their community? Well, I mean, so it depends on who you talk to. A lot of the frontline people, for example, are very happy to see that we're doing this because I remember, um, you know, we do everything online mostly, but when I'm in Detroit, I'll actually go and sit and pay bills in person just to kind of hang out with the water company and talk to people. Um, I remember one of the first few times I did that, I paid like five or six bills at one time. And the woman was like, what are you doing? Like, why, (laughs) why are you paying so many bills? But when I told her what was going on, she was super excited about it and, you know, totally helped me out. And then, um, another instance, um, a woman who worked there, I told her the same thing. And she had a son who was a retired journalist and she told him about what we were doing. So he's become one of our writers at different points in time. So again, people want to help. But if I talk about, you know, um, the building in Detroit, the headquarters in Detroit being like a multi-story building, if you go upstairs, sometimes the reactions are kind of mixed because it's like, you know, who are you and why are you doing this? And there was a notion when we first started that we made the utility look bad, but that wasn't the intention. It's just that people were not getting the help that they needed. So they found another source of that help. But, you know, we've found ways to sort of mend that relationship with the folks upstairs and and also develop an understanding from their perspective what's going on as far as if you think about it um 
just in the United, like this is a problem that happens in different places in the world, obviously, but just from the U.S. perspective, the federal government has not invested in water infrastructure in the way that they should since like the 70s. And so, you know, talking to Gary Brown, for example, um, the director of the water department in Detroit, he told me about how like, you know, he squeezed as far as his budget goes when it comes to, um, you know, needing to make like infrastructure improvements and how, because he's not getting federal money that he needs, he's having to raise rates on customers. And a lot of the time, because of the situation in Detroit, as far as poverty levels and unemployment and things like that, people are not able to sustain those summer after summer after summer increases because he's not getting the resources he needs. Even though I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not shilling for him. I don't think that's an excuse to shut people off, but you can kind of understand that if he had the money that he needed, he may not be doing these kinds of shutoffs sometimes. So. Sure. And, and so, and cities like Detroit and Baltimore are also, you know, they've had some tough times economically, right? Yeah. And and they've got uh, decreasing populations. So there's less, I guess, revenue coming in also from that front. Not only are they not getting federal investment, but they're not getting some of that local revenue that's dwindling. And so that's that's kind of the, that side of things there. Um, has there been any change in other than the coronavirus situation, which I do want to talk about? Has there been any other big picture change in the approach to these shutoffs or any kind of consideration of the, the type of people that are getting their water shut off on them or any of that? No, no. I mean, the utility, <laughs> I mean, it's our data shows that, you know, if you go to Detroit, people will tell you that this is mostly happening to black and brown people. And it, you know, in the United States, we have a history of, you know, being okay with things of this, like human rights abuses, basically, not even things of this sort, but human right, uh, human rights abuses happening to black people. Um, and even though you could argue it's, it's a racist thing that's happening, no one is taking that into consideration and stopping it on that basis because, you know, there's laws that are being used and rationale as far as, oh, we need to keep the utility, you know, solvent and things of that sort as if it's just tons of people that this is happening to and they can't do anything about. Mm -hmm. um, nothing is changing on that front. So, you know, um, some researchers at the Henry Ford Health System in, in Michigan have um, – there was a study that they did that they found a, a positive correlation between um, emergency room admissions and people who had their water shut off because they FOIA'd the water shut off data. And they found that there was a correlation between that. Now, of course, we know or correlation between people coming to the ER with things like rashes and gastrointestinal issues and stuff like that. And we know that, of course, correlation is not causation. But I think that there's room to make an argument that if you don't have running water at your house, you're going to have rashes and get sick because you can't wash your hands and stuff like that. So, you know, but they're they're still saying we haven't found any sort of relationship between that. And they've dismissed the study from the perspective of the utility, but also the state. So, you know, before this uh, novel coronavirus crisis, different people like the ACLU and other activists went to the governor of Michigan and tried to get her to issue a moratorium previously um, on the basis of those, you know, health findings um, from before. And she declined to do that. But the uh, novel coronavirus crisis changed her mind on that. But again, there wasn't an effort to do anything about it prior to this. So like you said, the because the, of the coronavirus uh, 
there's been this moratorium in a lot of states on water shutoffs. Um, I definitely want to get your perspective on that. And I'm wondering, you know, what if people had their water shut off when this whole coronavirus thing kicked in? Have they had their water put back on so they can wash their hands and do that sanitation stuff that's so important? Uh, yeah, what, what's going on on that front? Yeah, so a lot of places have put in places put in place moratoriums on shutoffs, but you know I have not actually celebrated that um, in the sense of it being a long term thing because a lot of places have made it clear this is for the duration of this virus crisis. It's not a long term thing, so basically don't get comfortable. And you know the water department director himself in Michigan, I mean in Detroit wrote an op-ed a few weeks ago where he basically said as soon as they can, they're going to go back to doing shutoffs. And he has the support of the mayor of Detroit because he, that guy is not, a, is not a fan of not having shutoffs. They believe in it totally as a collection mechanism. Um, but I, I, again, I'm not moved by the moratoriums because I feel like most places are going to go back to doing shutoffs. And so it's, it's more of a nobody wants to be the state that was still shutting people off in the middle of this public health crisis of epic proportions. So they're doing it mostly because, you know, public pressure wouldn't allow for it. But in a lot of places, like we saw with Michigan, when someone came to them previously, they didn't want to do it. I mean, and I talk more about this in a blog post I wrote on our website, but like I, I've not been moved by those moratoriums because I see them totally going back to doing what they previously did beforehand. So, yeah, I, I mean, I've, and I've seen a lot of groups and organizations and people say, Hey, this is how it should be and should stay uh, for the reasons you've said throughout this podcast here. Um, yeah, I, I definitely want to, uh, talk about how people can support you guys. What obviously donations is the big thing, but talk about that. How can people support the human utility? Yeah. So, I mean, so when you support, you know, your donation goes to actually getting people's water either turned back on or getting it, um, preventing it from being shut off in the first place, which is the most optimal outcome. Um, but you also get into a community of people that are committed to actually helping people. And this is a long-term thing for us. It's not just to pay a bill and like, forget about it. It's, I'm trying to build a community of people that at the end of the day, we can call on them and say, you know, you helped in Michigan. Can you also look at your own state and, and say like, you know, I live in Missouri. Are these shutoffs happening in Missouri? Because again, this is not just happening in Michigan. This is a, a nationwide issue and people need to be aware that someone across town from them can also be shut off. So it's a matter of, you know, looking at your own utility. Um, so even if you don't even donate to us, like look at your own utility and, and see whether this is actually happening because you can make an impact there and call them and say, this shouldn't be happening. Um, and then find, you know, us and actually donate and we'll help get, get people turned back on. Awesome. So. And, and is the website, uh, humanutility.org? Yes, it is. All right. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, I, I definitely appreciate it. I'm glad we could catch up. I think it's awesome what you're doing. You know, it's, it's such, you. such good, positive stuff. And uh, we'll definitely link to your site and hopefully get some more people headed your way through that. But thanks a lot, Tiffany. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Travis. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop. Thank you to the sponsor of this episode, the Flume Smart Water Monitor that tracks your home's water use 24-7, alerting you to excessive water use and leaks. Use promo code WATERLOOP now for 15% off at flumetech.com. You're in the Waterloop. You're in the Waterloop.